0: This podcast is brought to you by The Province.
1: listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome to Province Sports Radio Keyboard Kimura Edition. I am Paul Chapman. I'm joined here with Spencer Kite. Uh, Lots of stuff to get into as usual, Spencer. It's um, not necessarily a a busy time or a, a blockbuster time maybe for the casual fan, but there's still lots of stuff going on.
0: Yeah, there is. I mean, it's we're we're finally getting back into the octagon this weekend with a Fight Pass event in Dublin. Um unfortunately, it has taken some some hits over the last couple of weeks including one yesterday on Wednesday afternoon with headliner Joe Duffy being forced off the card. Um was a intriguing fight card at least for me. I was probably about 8 900 words into a preview. When I got the email that said Joe Duffy was out, so that changes things. Um, But, I I mean, a really tough break at kind of the start of getting back into a busy period. This is, we don't have any fights next weekend, so over the Halloween weekend, um, also known as my birthday weekend, please send (laughs) gifts. But then we get into every Saturday in November we have a week off at the start of December, and then we have those three fights in, in three days to close out the year. So this is sort of, to me, the start of it gets busy again. And to kind of start on on a downer, it sort of takes away what should be the start of a really exciting period because we lose a fight that a lot of people were interested in.
1: Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. This is the main event. It is Joe Duffy out of this Dublin event. Um yeah, and before we get into the reasons why and what happened around that, I did just want to talk about the event. Now, you are much more of a uh, of an insider in, in this sport and an expert in this sport than I am. I, I say that over and over again. I am a fan. I am probably one of those fans that Dana White covets in terms of, even though I'm a member of the media, in, in terms of the fact that I love the NFL, I love soccer, I, I love the, the major sports, and that's the kind of fan that he's looking to hook in as he wants to be one of the the major four and we have had great pay-per-views, and we had a killer spring and summer where every event, even the free fight nights, were filled with names. I know there's been injuries, but I think this is the first card in probably three years that I don't recognize really a (laughs) single name on the card here. I mean, I do, obviously, but you know what I mean? There's not like even... And I I know there's injury, but there's there. there, this is an anonymous card. There's no way around it.
0: Yeah, it's become an anonymous card. So in addition to losing... Joe Duffy and Dustin Poirier, which was supposed to be the main event. A couple weeks back, it lost. A heavyweight fight between Stipe Miocic and Ben Rothwell, which was going to be the co-main event. So you put those guys in, and I got up this morning and and saw a tweet from Mike Bond at MMA Junkie, fellow Canadian, saying the only ranked people on this card are Ashlyn Daly, who is a women's strawweight on the prelims, and Darren Elkins, who is a featherweight. Uh, Daly is number 14. Elkins is number 15. Oh my God, look at the lack of ranked fighters. Well, we lost three ranked fighters from this card. And so to me, it's all about sort of remembering how we got to this point. It's I agree with you 100%. It is now, it has become an anonymous card. I mean, you know a little bit about the Norman Parks of the world that came off the Ultimate Fighter, and Cajal Pendred is back and, and things like that. And Patty Houlihan is part of that. SBG Ireland group that has gotten a little bit of attention over the last year, but it absolutely does become kind of a nondescript, typical fight pass undercard now that we've lost the big names from it. And that's tough in terms of trying to sell it going forward as of today and like Thursday and Friday trying to get people to watch this show. It's going to be hard, but up until... You know, three weeks ago, it was a really good looking card because you got some of those lesser known people that you were interested in, like Nicholas Dalby and Darren Till, which is a battle of two unbeaten guys at welterweight that worked as sort of a number three fight when there were other good when there were good fights that that really piqued your interest on it beforehand. So now that those are lost, it it definitely takes the excitement and the anticipation down several notches.
1: Well, and again, I can't complain. Well, I can't complain. but I'm going to um just just for your, just for content's sake, we ha- as I say, we had so many blockbuster events in a row, and it's not just this fight Spence and I know that, you know, we've got injuries happening there, but the next one November 7th. Okay, so we got Belfort and Henderson. Their names, but you know, I don't know at this point um how many people are are, are going to, you know, really be excited to see that. Um, you know, there's some other names on that card as well, uh, to share his fighting bit of a good comeback story when he, he, after he lost some momentum, when he beat, uh, OSP, um, there's definitely a better sort of name recognition in that event than this one. But even if you go ahead to the next pay-per-view UFC 193, if you take Ronda Rousey out of that, you've got Rousey versus home. Um, and then of course the co-main is, is Joanna, your J check against Valerie Letourneau. Um, You know, and and as the women's division continues to grow, that's there's some star power there a little bit. Then you got a Hunt Silva rematch. You got Uriah Hall against another whoever. Um, No disrespect to Whitaker. You got Strew fighting. That feels like a you take you take Ronda out of it. That feels like a fight link card to me. So again, it's not a criticism because I this it may be driven by injury or it may be strategy. But what do you think about getting these prolonged periods of times in the spring and summer where it's like, man, wave after wave, week after week, we have just absolutely spectacular matchups going on. And then we're in a really flat period here.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to sort of try to find that balance between the two. And and I wrote about this a little bit today on Keyboard Kimura, talking about sort of the, the no-win situation the UFC tends to find themselves in. Because when the pay-per-view cards aren't stacked... When they're not rolling out these major events like we saw at UFC 187 or UFC 189, for instance, it's, ah, this isn't worth it. It's not good enough. But then this Fight Pass show loses its two main card, main events, sorry, um, two biggest fights, and people immediately go, well, why didn't you give them a better card? Like, it wouldn't be that bad if you had put better fights on this. It's like, well, you can't get both. You can't have these loaded lineups on pay-per-view that make it absolutely worth your 60 bucks, but then also have that on free TV and on fight pass when everybody's complaining that why do they even do these fight pass cards? Why, why waste a good fight like Joe Duffy and Ben Ro- and Dustin Poirier or Stephen Miocic and Ben Rothwell on fight pass. Nobody cares about fight pass, but then when the card gets blown up by injuries, it's well, why isn't this better? And so I agree with you that, that, you know you lose ronda it becomes far less appealing as a pay-per-view i agree that and, it would you, probably be a fight night event because you still have a championship fight in there
1: absolutely but you know my thoughts on on ronda as well and, and hooking a pay-per-view on her <laughs> yep. i mean again it when when i can watch a, twi- a twitter video uh of 14 seconds that encapsulates the whole fight is it worth my 70 bucks well
0: and, and- I think right now the thing with Rhonda is it's no longer about you and I, the guys that are watching every event, almost regardless, or making that, okay, I know it's only going to be 14 seconds, so do I really want to tune in? It's about that new mainstream audience that is very much enamored with Rhonda Rousey right now. We see her on the cover of Self magazine. She just did men's fitness in Australia Um, she is literally everywhere right now and so there could be nothing else on this card and you're going to get that new audience that is just coming around to being ronda rousey fans and being interested in her tuning in and so it almost weird as this will sound to mma people it almost behooves the ufc to not put a lot with her because they're going to draw those eyes anyways and that saves some more meaningful fights for these other cards that we have coming up. I think it's great that they've put you on a young Jay chick on that show because she's going to get sort of the secondary spotlight of, of being on a fight card with Rhonda. I think having the heavyweights in there and a rematch of what was an epic battle that we got for free the last time around has the potential to be great. The Robert Whitaker, Uriah Hall fight was supposed to be Michael Bisping. Mike had elbow surgery, get well soon. Um, but I really do believe, just like the the fight card UFC 190 in Brazil, it's primarily Ronda, and that's the draw. So, do you really need to have three, four, five other really big fights behind it?
1: Well, and in defense of of, of that as well, Spence, I'll give you. You have talked about Uriah Hall maybe having some attitude problems behind the scenes. Um, I've been kind of a fan of his since since his Ultimate Fighter, where right? he lost in the in the final to Gastelum, but. His last fight, and, and I give him credit. This is a quick turnaround. I mean, he what was it? Six weeks ago? Four weeks ago? We fought.
0: Yeah, um, six weeks ago, gets a gets an upset win, a win of of Gegard Mousasi, biggest win of his career, absolutely, and and jumps right back in, and and to me, one of the stories of this, and it it probably won't get covered as much because we have Ronda, because we have Joanna champion. Um, This really feels to me like an opportunity, if there's ever going to be one for Uriah Hall, to really go on a run and become somewhat of a player in the middleweight division. This is it because he is coming off that spectacular win. Robert Whitaker has looked very good since going back to middleweight. This, to me, feels like the winner of this moves into that top 10 sort of just outside the top five range in a division that a lot of people are interested in right now, myself included. So,
1: well, I, I do look at that as again, I think that you're right. Um, I, I look at all these. I still think Rhonda at this point, it, although I kind of, I think they're rushing home my own personal opinion, but I kind of think Rhonda's is almost better suited to to lead a good fight night card. That's going to draw a lot of people on the TV just out of curiosity and maybe they'll get to see some other fighters that intrigue them as well. But let's go back to this event this weekend. Um, you're absolutely right. Injuries happen. Uh, there are free events that are supposed to maybe get you more familiar with some unknown fighters. But a lot of fans, especially hardcore fans, just seem to... They they want the big show every weekend. They want the name every weekend. How unrealistic is that?
0: To me, it's wholly unrealistic. I mean, it's it's one of the weird things to me because... You know, people people trumpet their fandom and, and how much they're pumped for different fights. But then you get a card like this, and admittedly, it has lost the big names. It has lost the marquee fights that are going to draw people in. But like I said earlier, Nicholas Dalby and Darren Till is a really intriguing fight to me. A pair of unbeaten guys. Darren Till looked great in his debut elbowing somebody into a stoppage in in the second round to stay unbeaten. Um, I think Stevie Ray is a really interesting lightweight coming out of Scotland. His third fight, two straight finishes so far in the UFC. I think Tom Breeze, who's fighting Cahal Penrude, who is a guy that everybody loves to hate at this point. Um, fighting him in Dublin makes for a really interesting fight. I think Tom Breeze is another guy that's that's worth paying attention to. So there's there's opportunities to sort of get invested and and learn a little bit more about some of these guys that are going to be working their way up and, and may be in some bigger matchups next time out. And we've talked about it a bunch. That's what these shows and even some of these fight night shows that are on free television are supposed to be about is is showcasing guys you may need in the future and people you may want to follow down the road. And it's it's crazy to me because everybody goes – overboard blasting the UFC for promoting a kid like Sage Northcutt who has one fight but clearly has the look. But they also want to challenge the UFC and say they don't know how to build stars, they don't promote guys properly, but they also don't want to get in and and just watch a fight pass show this weekend that starts at ten o'clock Pacific time out here. You could kick back on your couch or in your office on your computer, wherever and just watch some fights with some up and coming talent that may get some bigger opportunities coming in 2016. So it's not like, Oh, well, who are these guys? Like keep seeing these, these things about, Oh, I I wouldn't be able to pick Louis Smolka out of a lineup. Well, he had a really good fight with Neil at UFC 189. And, and if you watched that event, you would probably remember it or you should, or you just weren't paying close enough attention because they're not big enough names. And that's the part that's, that's tough for me because I don't necessarily go into any sporting event just wanting to see the four big names. I want to see the action itself and the competition itself, regardless of who it is. I know, obviously, I'm I'm more invested in this sport than some. But one of the great things that I love about this is watching some of these young guys so that I can see their next fight and see that progression and trace that development. And this feels now like an opportunity to see that with some guys that have looked good in the past that I want to see more from.
1: Well, this is called the main event. So I guess I'll get pretty heavy with this now, as I look at some of the reaction. So Conor McGregor comes out and does what Conor McGregor does. (laughs) Um, takes a ton of shots at Duffy, who, even though he's a countryman, doesn't seem to like him, says it's his card; (laughs) He'll step in in a heartbeat and take the, uh, and take the gate. But. It's um, my gate anyways. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he also takes a few personal shots at uh at Duffy basically alludes to his toughness for pulling out of the fight um this is an argument i get into all the time whenever i put anything in our morning scape file about ufc uh whenever i make a comment on anything including uh injuries in other sports um i know what the nfl is staring in the face i know what the nhl is kind of pretending isn't there and their concussion problems um, and I do separate them. A lot of fans call me hypocritical for doing it. To me, when you're playing football, the object is still to get the ball into the end zone and for the other team to stop that. In hockey, the object is to put the puck in the net and the other team to try and stop them. It's not to get hit in the head. That's a byproduct of the game. When you go into UFC, it's a combat sport. You know the the, the actual goal of the sport is to punch someone in the head. And uh, that doesn't diminish... The fact that there is an issue around brain injury, and, and we worry about it when we see guys like Rory McDonald go through what they went through. If Dana White wants this sport to move into that realm, do they really have to squash this pussy talk when a guy is pulled out of a fight because of a concussion? And I know it's Connor being Connor, but at the same time, when you're trying to use this guy to fish for legitimate sports fans, I think there's a, again, if you're chasing Sports Center and you want to be in the first 10 minutes of Sports Center, they're all over the concussion stuff in football, and I think this kind of cheapens the sport a little bit when you get this kind of talk.
0: I think it does as well. And I mean, the the really good thing for the most part outside of, as you said, sort of Connor being Connor and saying, oh, it must be the Canadian air because the air is fresh and clean over here and it builds rock-hard chins, alluding to Joe Duffy training in Montreal at TriStar, and and that's why he was able to, to suffer a flash knockout in training and, and get this concussion that is... Has pushed him from this event. Um, outside of that, outside of I think one or two one or two fighters that did the like, uh, suck it up and get in there. For the most part, people are recognizing and understanding. I mean, one of the things I put in my piece today was first and foremost, this is the absolute right call by the UFC. It's the right call by Dustin Poirier to not jump into some meaningless fight that he hasn't prepared to prepared for just under the guise of of I want to save this card. And the first thing I tweeted out yesterday, as everybody was sort of taking shots at the UFC and bemoaning the fact that this, this fight fell apart, was I hope Joe Duffy's okay, because we, we say things, and the UFC phrased it as a mild concussion, which if you pay attention and, and have listened to or read up at all on concussions, this grading of concussions is as mild or severe as just crazy because everyone is different. I immediately think of guys like TJ Grant and Chris Holdsworth. TJ Grant was awaiting a title shot, got kneed in the head in jujitsu practice, um, had a mouth guard in, whole nine yards, took the steps that he's supposed to take, hasn't fought since. Fighting career is most likely done. Um, Chris Holdsworth wins the ultimate fighter, uh, suffers a concussion, gets a second one fairly quickly because he rushed back hasn't fought since. So so for me, I think we're starting to see people understand a lot more because of the stuff you're saying with the NFL. There's a movie Concussion coming out, uh, I believe Christmas, about the NFL concussion issue. Um, we see the different stuff in NHL enforcers and, and what they're going through. And I think we as a culture are becoming more aware and more understanding of it And I think you're absolutely right that we have to continue in MMA diminishing this bullshit talk of, ah, suck it up, get in there. Everybody fights hurt. It's just a little knock. Oh, you couldn't take it. And recognize that that these things are serious. And to put him in – I mean, people – I'm glad they didn't do it. The UFC very much could have been like, oh, well, you know, let's just, how about we stay in there? But they didn't because they understand that his long-term health is far more important than whatever impact pulling him from this card has on either the gate or the box office and those things. People wanting, you know, refunds or bad press. So I think we're getting there and, and... for every one Conor McGregor being a jackass saying Conor McGregor stuff that you knew he was going to say because he and Joe Duffy have a history. We saw a lot more positives of people saying this is the right thing. Get well soon. Hope you're okay. So yeah. it's, I think we're getting there.
1: And, and and let's be clear that the NFL, they may say they care about the long-term health of their athletes and they, they may even do so on some level, but it's more a class action lawsuit that makes them sit up and take notice. And I think that – You know, again, I think the rules are a little bit different because when you're a football player and and your job is to catch a ball and get it in the end zone and you can't remember how to get home um, when you're 45 years old or you can't remember your kids' names, which are well-documented things that have happened that NFL players are reporting now, uh, that's one thing. When you know that you're getting in the ring and being punched in the head, it's another. However, you know, when you're seeing this stuff really mistreated, you're having guys can't feed themselves when they're 50 years old. So. There may be legal merit down the road. There's certainly got to be full disclosure, and there has to be some some medical practice there as well. You talk about Grant and Holsworth. You know, this it it highlights to me how much we don't know about concussions. You talk about it, and and how how as you say, we are more educated. There's movies coming out about it. There's more that we know every day, but it, you, you, there's just no accounting for the fact that. Uh, Alexander Gustafson can take spinning elbows from John Jones. He can take an absolute barrage from from Anthony Johnson and, and, and same thing from uh, Daniel Cormier. And he goes through his recovery period, but he's okay. If concussions are to be graded, what the hell was the state of, the, of Rory McDonald's brain, right, after that fight? I just don't think we know how and when and why and there's gonna it it may be 30 40 50 years until there's a body of evidence until they really know but i think that's why you have to always err on the side of caution
0: well and that's it right we're we're getting a better understanding every year that we move forward every year that we have more tests every year that we have doctors doing research on things like cte we have you know these nfl players that are donating their brains to medical science to help understand this more um, and we're seeing, you know, things like the concussion protocol that yes, it's not perfect, but it's a starting point where five, 10, 15 years ago and way further back, we didn't have any of that. It was just, you got your bell rung and you got back out there. Cause that's what you do. You, you know, have a little hit of the smelling salts and and shake out the cobwebs and away you go. So it's great to see that we're getting to this point where we're starting to understand things a little bit more and we're taking the steps to protect these guys because long-term, as you said, we don't know how we get these different severities, how we get sort of why not different severities, but why a guy like TJ Grant hasn't been able to fight. But as you said, Alex Gustafson goes through these battles, comes back and, and he's good to go. So it's good to see that they're taking the steps that they took in this fight specifically and overall going forward.
1: And I think it also highlights Spencer that this is still a fairly new sport. And I think as you're going to see fighters like Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell and and Forrest Griffin and, and Randy Couture, as they get into that um, period of their 50s, some of them, I think, are getting close there now. Getting there. Getting Dan Henderson still fighting. But but honestly, as they get older and you start to see the impact, then is when the real understanding of what the long-term effects are. It's one thing for a guy to be able to get through it and fight again. But, and look, UFC does have a lot of science on this. And, and that is the argument they will make that it's way safer than boxing. And that one clean shot to the head with, you know, thinner gloves is far, far less damaging than um, 55, 70, 80 shots to the head with big padded boxing gloves. Um, They claim that that is much more damaging to the brain long-term, you know, that there is science behind that, but in terms of where we're seeing the ex fighters go and what their life is like after they leave the octagon, I think we're still in that real neophyte area. We need to have a bigger body of evidence,
0: yeah. We haven't gotten to that point where we have fighters that have been retired for 20 years after being in you know 10, 15, 20, 25 fights. I mean, that's to me is one of the good things as well about MMA is that the the career span doesn't seem to be as long as as a lot of these boxers who have 30, 40, 50 fights. I mean, you have some guys that have those numbers, um, but for the most part it's sort of in that 25 to 35 range and then guys call it quits depending on when they started and things like that. But as we get sort of 5, 10, 15 more years down the road and we start seeing – as you said, the Chuck Liddells, the Tito Ortiz, the guy that I've always sort of held out as the, this is the one I want to see is Diego Sanchez, who has been in innumerable battles um, where he's just, you know, tougher than tougher than he needs to be, tougher than a $3 steak, too tough for his own good. Um, I want to see where a guy like that is 10 years from now, how he's doing in terms of his cognitive function, in terms of his... Cognitive abilities, because because that's going to be where we see some of this impact, and and hopefully everything is is going in the right direction. That we're going to be taking care of these guys and and looking out for them a little more. And I think the UFC has done that to a certain extent with some guys. You know, Dana has had that talk with a with a few different fighters. of I think it's time to go. Like I don't think there's anything more that you need to do because it just it's not the same as it was for you. So before it gets too bad let's let's walk away and get you a a vip job a vp job with the ufc
1: well okay i was going to end it here but i'm going to challenge you (laughs) it's it's okay for dana to say that to a guy like chuck (coughs) ladella in his 40s would he say the same thing to a robbie lawler right now who, who actually holds a belt would he say the same thing to a to an alexander gustafson or you know cormier is getting a little bit older but I just think these, these, as you just alluded to, two young guys who probably aren't that selling tickets for Dana yet. Um, but yeah, it's easy to say it to a 40 year old uh, who really does look past his, his, his uh, expiration date. But these things can be really damaging to a young guy, too, who's, who's right in his prime. And, and I, I just wonder if that would be as consistent.
0: And that and that's absolutely true. And I don't think they would go to an Alex Gustafson after that fight in Houston and say, "Listen, man, it's been, you know, two really big wars and one really big knockout in your last four fights. Maybe you should take a year and and just see where you're at and make sure everything's okay," because there hasn't there hasn't been that hesitancy from the fighter. There hasn't been that. Those moments where they look like something's off, and you're right, it is. It is easy to say it to a Chuck Liddell or to a Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira when they're pushing 40 and clearly in a state of decline. Um, maybe we do see going forward. Maybe that's one of the things we get as as this organization and as this sport continues to grow. Is is more and more people, more and more organizations. Being proactive with fighters. I mean, we've seen it a little bit even with fighters themselves. Jordan Meehan saying, I don't have it to compete at this level anymore. So he's walking away when he could very well easily continue to fight, continue to take damage, continue to cash paychecks. Um, So maybe maybe we do see it more. I mean, I think fighters are starting to be a little more responsible in that regard themselves and, and hopefully organizations follow suit.
1: Uh, okay, we will end our main event there, although this is all intertwined. Move on now to our fight of the week, which um not going this week. It's going in January, but there is a tie to this week. What do you got up?
0: Uh, the fight of the week. So just announced yesterday, sort of odd timing corresponding to this Dublin event. Stipe Miocic, who was supposed to fight on this Dublin card, but was forced to pull out due to an injury, uh, has been rebooked against Andrei Arlovsky as the co-main event of UFC 195 which takes place on January 2nd in Las Vegas. That'll be the show with Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit as the main event. It feels like one of those, like, really, did you need, like, you couldn't have held off on announcing this for maybe six more days and just do it after the Dublin event, because as much as I know Stipe is legitimately hurt, um, you have this situation where the Dublin card is in shambles, Ben Rothwell is over there and on social media just tearing a strip off the UFC for various things because he's angry about life right now because he's missed out on opportunities and, and he's stuck, you know, going and doing guest fighter appearances instead of fighting. And the guy he was supposed to fight gets arguably a better fight, a bigger stage, probably a bigger paycheck ultimately, and gets closer to a title shot, so if maybe you held off for for a week it might have been a better idea but it's a great fight no it is
1: that- it is a great sp- fight spencer but you know and there're two guys you want to see fight and i know we've got that you, you talked about the Hunt and, and uh and bigfoot fight it it's that heavyweight conundrum right like anytime you put a couple of these guys in the ring you're going to most likely going to be able to put on some sort of intrigue but what does it do to the division? What does it mean in terms of what's fair, what the path is? It just seems to be out of sync. Something's not lining up here with the heavyweights.
0: Yeah, and, and that was one of the things that I we had sort of talked about off air as we were queuing everything up, is that it feels like following the Cain Velasquez-Fabricio Verdoom fight where we sort of had an understanding of who was moving forward, who was coming off victories, things like that. We had a few different options. It feels to me like the UFC just booked everything backwards. As much as I do want to see Cain Velasquez and Fabricio Verdum again, I don't necessarily need to see it right away. There was the opportunity to maybe get Andrei Arlovsky into a title fight because who knows how long he's going to continue this run. But they booked him with Frank Mir, and that fight really, really, really fell flat at UFC 191. They booked this Stephen Meosic-Ben Rothwell fight. It came apart. It just sort of feels like nobody took a step forward from where they were, and so now Arlovsky's got to fight another fight. Very good chance that his resurgence gets gets shut down by Stephen Meosic, who looked great against Mark Hunt in his last appearance. And then you still have Ben Rothwell kind of hanging around, wondering where he fits in all of this. Yes, you've got Junior Dos Santos and Alistair him coming up, which will be a great fight. And Rothwell has said he'll be ready if one of those guys has to be replaced, and and that's the smart move. But it just feels like we had all this momentum at at one point when Fabricio Verdum became the undisputed champion. And now it kind of feels like we're stuck in the mud again. And so you wonder... If maybe they could, you know, yesterday was, was back to the future day. If they could jump in the DeLorean and go back and rebook this, I wonder if they would have done it a different way.
1: So who is the sort of up-and-coming heavyweight <laughs> that is maybe not ready to challenge now, but is on a pathway that if handled right, could be the guy, or are we still looking at Cain and Verdum? You know, we had thought that was Miocic. Is it is it Overeem? Is there is there someone else in there? Who they're looking at the way they're going to do the matchups and think, well, yeah, within the next 12 to 24 months, we're going to have this amazing heavyweight title fight. Or are they just kind of winging it?
0: I think if, if you had to identify one guy that's sort of new ish to that proceeding, it would be Steve Imiosic, just because he hasn't fought a lot of these elite heavyweights yet. He hasn't faced the Verdooms, the the Velasquez, Dos Santos, that group yet. He's very much sort of this guy going forward, which to me is why the Ben Rothwell fight didn't necessarily make sense initially. I liked the idea of getting him in there with somebody where he gets another big win coming off that Mark Hunt fight, or you just give him the title shot right away because then at least you continue to build him and and capitalize rather than initially sticking him on fight pass against Ben Rothwell on a card that that wasn't going to generate a lot of buzz but outside of that I think heavyweight is still sort of stuck in this guys that we already know rotation and and waiting to see sort of how everything shakes out and some of it is just the UFC wanting to believing that they can capitalize on rematches and names that that we've sort of already seen and just figure it out as they go. And And I know they have a long-term plan and I know that they have sort of projections and ideas of if this fight happens and this goes this way. But a lot of that is so fluid because of injuries, because of timing, because of where guys are needed that I don't know that it's much more than this is the next fight and yeah, they'll be in line, but we'll see what happens kind of thing. So Heavyweight again is it's it's interesting because there are a lot of names sort of bubbling around the top, and we should get some interesting fights, but I think it just hasn't been booked in a way to really maximize that lately.
1: One of the things there, and we haven't really talked about Orlovsky here, but um, you know, he kind of messed up the division in in a good way, <laughs> uh, in that he came out of nowhere to really look like a, a contender again. He he had a bit of a renaissance now, as you said didn't look great against Frank Mir. Certainly neither did Frank Mir. And there may be reasons for that. Knowing that it wasn't his shot is basically if he looked awful, it would jeopardize the shot. Does he have a legitimate chance to still to beat a guy like Miocic and then frankly be there, standing there in line for what would likely be the last shot of his career?
0: I think he does. I mean, Andre is a guy that has very good hands, very good power. We saw that in the Travis Brown fight. Um, We saw him be able to take some big shots in that fight. The spot that that sort of will be tricky and will be interesting, I think, to see where this fight plays out is with Miosic's wrestling ability and his ability to sort of change elements on the fly as they're going. So he can throw with you, but he can also take you to the ground and just kind of grind you out and pound on you like we saw he did against Mark Hunt. But Arlovsky absolutely has has the potential to be in there and and get a victory here. And I think, kind of again, going back to coming off that win against Travis Brown, felt like the right moment to capitalize on what he had done. It was three straight wins. It was back-to-back first-round knockouts. It was a guy that has an established name. It was a really cool story. He had fought Fabrizio Verdum in the past and beaten him. And so that felt like the right moment to capitalize on his resurgence, get in that title shot. He can still beat Steve and get there. I just think it's a more difficult path now.
1: And so let's touch on the other guy in this equation. What's next for Ben Rothwell? I know he's mad. I know he's upset and he, <laughs> maybe rightly so, but do, do you see he's a guy who I know doesn't have the prototypical chisel body, but he's certainly worked on that. He's better than he was two years ago. And I think that's making people take him more seriously. Does he have a legitimate path to the title at some point here?
0: It's He's the guy for me that is is the hardest to book right now just because of everything else that is already on the card or already on the calendar. Sorry. You look at sort of who he's fought since being in the UFC. So he's already fought Kane way back when, six years ago now. Already fought Mark Hunt, beat Alistair Overeem. He's on a nice three-fight winning streak. It sort of is going to depend to me on what happens with Junior Dos Santos and Alistair Overeem. If somebody gets if somebody gets injured there, he absolutely will jump into that spot. Same with this potential Fabricio verdum Kane Velasquez fight, if nothing comes together for him before that. But outside of that, you look at it and it's sort of like, well, what is Josh Barnett going to do? Is he going to stick around and continue fighting? Because that could be a fight that you make just to... Whoever wins continues to move forward. Barnett coming off a win over Roy Nelson in Japan. But outside of that, like there's nothing that really makes sense for him. Mark Hunt has a fight book. Frank Mir just looked awful. Roy Nelson hasn't been doing too well in his last several fights coming off a loss. Maybe he ends up fighting sort of the Stefan Struve, Jared Rochalt winner. They fight in Australia, but that feels like a huge step backwards versus some of the guys he's fought. So I think Big Ben is sort of stuck again, sitting around and waiting to see what happens, which is part of his frustration that he's coming off, you know, a win over Matt Mitrione at the start of June. And here we are in October, the fight with Miosic gets scuttled and he has no idea when he's going to fight. Well, and
1: and that's the unfortunate thing about the heavyweight division, though, you know, uh, you, you have those two guys at the top. And then there's that next level with JDS and then maybe Overeem's in there. But still, you look at some of his losses, as you say, to Rothwell. And then there are all these guys like, you know, Mears hanging around. You got Barnett. Even Travis Brown has had a couple of disappointing losses. Uh, I still think he's probably in the upper end of that middle group. You know, the lower end of that group is is Stefan Struve. But it's like you can't take any of them seriously to really think they can compete for the title. And that's the shame about the heavyweight division is that you don't have – the three four five guys who are in the mix now having said that with guys that big puncher's chance right anyone lands the right shot but it certainly feels like there's a lot of guys in the in that division who you know we see on a fairly regular basis who really you can't take them seriously as, as title contenders
0: yeah you get to you get to that point where you have about three or four guys sort of like the light heavyweight division where you have that upper crust of guys that are absolutely in the mix but then you hit sort of the Oven St. Prue range and down where it's like, we've seen them get beat by that upper tier. And so maybe they can put it together. Maybe they can have a little comeback. I mean, if you if you told me this time last year that Andre Arlovsky would be where he's at, I would have called you crazy, but here he is. So you never know, but it sort of leaves a guy like Ben Rothwell in a, in a tough position because there isn't that young guy coming up that needs to fight a veteran like Ben Rothwell to show where he's at. But at the same time, none of these veteran guys are, or these guys that are in the mix are available and ready to fight them just because of the way things have been booked and, and guys being off. I mean, Junior Dos Santos being off for a year complicates things. The delay with a rematch between Fabrizio Verdum and Kane complicates things. I talked to Kane in Houston. He wanted to fight on that card. If he knew the rematch with Verdum was going to be delayed until, you know, sort of February or March he was ready to take a fight and and would have happily taken a fight. And that could have been sort of an opportunity for someone like Ben Rothwell to, to get in there. But that's just, I mean, it's, it's sort of the way these, these permutations go. I think it's part of why we saw a bit of a roster purge this week where they got rid of some people because they do have too many fighters on the roster and not enough. As weird as it sounds, given that they have 40 some odd events a year, not enough spots for all the guys that they have under contract to fight as regularly as they like. So got rid of some people and hopefully we see guys get a chance to compete a little more frequently going forward.
1: Is there anyone who surprised you that they got rid of?
0: Um, There are a few guys just, you know, it's, it's always weird when, when ultimate fighter winners get cut fairly quickly, but, but nobody has really done that well from recent seasons to merit sticking around. Like they released Eddie Gordon, Uh, They released William Macario, who was a finalist that they were really high on at one point from Brazil. Um, But outside of that, there's there's not really a lot. I mean, I think the roster is just bloated as it is because we came through a year like last year where there were so many injuries that they had to sign guys to fill in and you're not going to just cut guys after one shot when they do you a solid win or lose. Um, And so to see them sort of chip away at some of the fat and trim some of the fat made a lot of sense to me and and truthfully they could probably get rid of you know another 15 20 25 people not that i'm advocating anyone losing their job but i think they could probably pare down more and and so long as guys are healthy have them fight a little more frequently cuz if you ask most fighters they want to fight more often than they than they have been and and yeah they're okay with layoffs because it gives them a chance to train but this is how they make their money and if they're not fighting they're not getting paid so losing some of that you know extra weight at the bottom of of each division that frees up some more opportunities for guys could mean better cards could mean more opportunities for guys that we want to see
1: now we move into the last segment spencer the championship rounds um Need for better regional op- options, uh, <laughs> perhaps a UFC minor league. This is something that you've touched on in the past, especially when we look at events um, and, and how infrequently they come to Vancouver. And then when they do come, they're, they've been somewhat disappointing. And in particular, if you do get an injury, as we've been talking about all podcast, what would you like to see here in terms of regional options for the UFC?
0: I mean, first and <laughs> foremost, in Canada, I think it's it's unfortunate that we don't have... Better regional shows. I mean, we have a story in today's paper um, about Alexi Argiru, a kid from Victoria that I know from from my days living on the island and, and hanging out at Zuma, who was fighting in Calgary on Friday night. Um, young prospect, 22 years old, really bright future. Hard to find a fight because people know who he is and, and he's got a little bit of a name and he looked good in his first two pro fights and was 4-0 as an amateur. Talked to Eamon Zahabi last week, Farah Zahabi's younger brother. He picked up a victory in Montreal on Saturday to move to 4-0. Same thing. Been a pro for four years, five years now. He's got five pro fights. He just can't find fights because there aren't enough regional events in Canada. It's It's so difficult for these organizations to stay afloat because athletic commissions have essentially priced organizations out we see that in in british columbia where we had a bunch of different shows sort of bubbling up a couple years ago and now we're down to battlefield throws an event every once in a while Um, i know there's five-star fight league every once in a while up north but it's just it's just difficult to see these guys and there are some options in the states but but u.s promotions aren't necessarily going to fly in a canadian from Vancouver Island, like Alexi to fight at legacy and in, in Houston, Texas, or something like that. And so for me, it always ends up going back to the UFC had the WEC and they had strike force where they could have used them as sort of developmental and feeder leagues, which the WEC was at one point you saw guys rise to sort of being the champion in those divisions, then get called up to the UFC and they would vacate the belt and we see that in a few of the the bigger, larger shows, um, regional shows. We see that with RFA, where a number of their champions have gotten called up to the UFC. I know Titan Fighting, which is on Fight Pass, has a UFC out clause in their contracts for fighters. But for me, it feels like there's an opportunity here for the UFC to actively get involved the way that you know Major League Baseball is involved with minor league baseball and the AAA, AA, single a single-A, all of that, to have sort of that feeder league that they are actively connected to, that they contribute to and, and help bring along. Obviously, they're a private business. They don't necessarily have to do it. But in terms of the growth and development of this sport, they're going to need these organizations to continue thriving and continue producing talent. 'Cause you're eventually gonna need more talent to replace these guys that are getting old or getting beat or not able to hang in the UFC anymore. So it always just feels like a chance it's one of those things that permanently stands out for me of like, should the UFC have kept the WEC around or kept Strike Force around or or have something like the Strike Force Challenger series? And and the more I talk to guys on the regional circuit that are struggling to get fights because they're either really well known and people are protective of their records or they're close to getting to the UFC and they come from a good gym and people don't want to fight them. You just wonder if there wouldn't be an opportunity for the UFC to get in there and and cultivate some of this new talent, even before it gets to the UFC level so that people are coming in and you know who they are because they've come through the UFC feeder system, whether it's different, you know, branded international UFCs like UFC Canada or UFC Brazil or things like that. So just one of those things that, that is always at the front of my mind as I see guys struggling to get fights and, and work their way up the regional circuit that isn't as isn't as well-financed and well-funded as even, you know, fighting in the UFC or some of these other larger promotions is.
1: Do you think that this is one of the things the UFC does bring there? You mentioned you know, sort of minor league baseball. Um, is that legitimacy? Because I will admit, let's say there was a fight out at Abbotsford Tradex and it's some local fighters going at each other, and there's a local promoter, you know, it would almost seem, I don't want to say like, you know, local pro wrestling, and that's not to put local pro wrestling down. I know a couple of guys are involved <laughs> in the ECCW, but it would just have this sort of, I don't know, um, a real...
0: No, I'm It, I'm it just with doesn't you have that luster. It, it needs that it legitimacy, a amount of credibility. And so one of the things that I always sort of laugh with with a lot of these sort of lesser established regional promotions as they get, you know, ex UFC fighters. And it's always just build as that's the selling point is former UFC fighter. Well, imagine if instead of it being a um, guy out here, Coulter Gill fought in the UFC before well-respected guy in the MMA community, his, his gym and, and he's putting on a fight card, I believe this weekend it's going to be one of those local shows where it's a lot of guys from his gym versus guys from around. But imagine if that is a UFC branded show and you know that there's a chance that a year from now, two years from now, these guys are going to be potentially in the UFC or on a UFC Canada show after that. It just gives you that greater attraction to go out there and support these local guys and start getting invested. And, and I think that's what you're saying. And, and I agree with it 100%. I did a lot of shows out in Victoria with with Darren Owen and, and Armageddon Fighting Championships where you get a good amount of people for the low, you know, a good amount of people for a small venue to come and support local guys. But if you put that those three letters in front of it, just changes everything and changes the way people look at it, changes the way people talk about it. And I think it would bring some some greater legitimacy and some greater opportunity to it.
1: Absolutely, I think it's uh, you know it's certainly something that would just maybe hook the casual fan in a little bit more. There's something that seems a little bit seedy. It's almost the Kimbo Slice ish uh, backyard fights. If you don't believe that that the promoters on the up and up or that these are legitimate fighters who have a shot, I know sometimes you can go down to. you know, you'll have places like uh, just across the border, the Silver Reef Casino, they brought in guys like Tito Ortiz, which is more of the Legends Tour. You've mentioned this many times. You'd like to see that energy go into the young and upcoming guys who actually have an opportunity to fight and make a name before they, they take that step up. And then if you had that to bring it full circle, maybe we wouldn't be looking at a show this weekend going, I don't know any of these names, if we'd see yeah, some of these guys I, on the way up.
0: Yeah, it becomes one of those things, like the thing I've sort of, advocated lately is is having these ufc branded sort of regional promotions in different countries so having a ufc canada having a ufc you can even split the united states into east and west you can have ufc europe where it's under the ufc banner but it's you know they can all be on fight pass there's more content for fight pass you build guys to the point that you know you're able to sell them as, let's say, the UFC Canada lightweight champion. That puts something to it. That gives you some kind of tie to who this guy is. You know they've worked their way up through the Canadian ranks. They're the best lightweight in Canada that isn't in the UFC proper yet. It just becomes a different tie so that when they then are on this UFC Dublin show, you can go back and check out some of their fights on Fight Pass. You know some of the guys that they've fought because they're in the UFC already or they're on the cusp as well it just it makes it even a little easier to track some of the regional shows because there's so many out there that either don't have the television exposure or the internet exposure or guys just get lost in the shuffle that putting that UFC branding to it gives it a different level of legitimacy gives people more of a reason to pay attention and to me in the long run helps the fighters and helps the promotion. So something that I'm sure I will bring up at some point in a conversation with, with some UFC people and, and continue to write about because it is something that interests me.
1: Great stuff, Spencer. So that kind of wraps up our topics this week. Any part, Any lasting thoughts before we leave?
0: No, not too much. Just uh, still excited for the Dublin show, even though it has definitely taken a, taken a bit of a hit. Excited to see how Alexi does this weekend in Calgary. Best of luck to him. And uh, just looking forward to, to getting into November and a very, very busy month.
1: Excellent stuff. So if you want to read Spencer's stuff, first track him down at Twitter at SpencerKite, K-Y-T-E. Um, you'll find all his links there as to what he writes. Also at at theprovince.com Great stuff he does for us. So thanks once again, Spencer. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Keyboard Kimura.